0: Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent, here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil & Gas Team.
1: So. A little about our sponsors, Ericsson. As we're all aware, the oil and gas industry is digitizing rapidly. In addition to helping the industry reap the benefits of cost reductions, capture efficiencies for top-line revenue, achieve safety and environmental goals, digitization is enabling better and stronger connectivity. Ericsson provides best-in-class connectivity solutions for the oil and gas industry with its 4G and 5G private networks. Check out their site at www.ericsson.com forward slash oil and gas. I will put this in the notes of each one of the episodes. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce of Tomorrow, sponsored by Ericsson. Hello, my name is Jason Duff. I'm the industry lead for oil and gas for IBM Consulting. With me today, my co host, Mr. Neil Syme. Hello, Neil, back in Austin. How- how's things? I'm doing
2: good, Jason. Back in Austin, look at Mr. Global over there in Switzerland, just living it up in the land of chocolate and all that type of good stuff, Chocolate, right?
1: cheese, bread.
2: That's Chocolate, cheese, bread. Cuckoo clocks. Cuckoo clocks. That's all I can think of. Time pieces. I don't know. That's what it. Is neutrality. It's Neutra- <laughs> fantastic. Maybe. I haven't been
1: here since <laughs> September. I came across with Endress and Hauser. NOV are here as well, so we've had a very good... It was Endress and Hauser's 70th birthday. We had a good old partnering session, so
2: yeah. And you were opening a couple of dodgy bank accounts out there as well, weren't you, Shh, right? We're just not for supposed your, to talk for about your, that your, your, For podcast. your
1: international holdings. You know, no, IRS, you know, no, I have nothing to do with <laughs> it. This. this is not the Jason this Duff from... Is, we
2: know this is just a front, this
1: podcast anyway, so... But I've been totally <laughs> boiled now, haven't I? So to make it fully international, Neil, we're going to talk about recruiting the workforce of tomorrow. We've got someone from London, haven't we, Neil? We do. We have Kristen Wilkinson. So welcome, Kristen. Tell us a little bit
2: about yourself and your background and so forth.
0: Hi. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. A little bit about myself. I'm a Texan born and raised. I've been in the recruitment industry for close to 10 years now, which I cannot believe it's been that long. My background is in IT recruitment and professional services. I've been based out of Houston for the past eight years of my career, um, supporting our energy portfolios and clients. And um, the last year I had a unique opportunity to be a part of my company's global expansion into the UK, which is really exciting. So, I moved my family over to London uh, middle of last year to help start off our first UK-based office. So now, currently in London.
1: I know our old stomping ground, there, Jason. I mean, uh, yeah. Hold no, on. No, is, look, is this I... is this a swab for one Texan versus two <laughs> Scotsmen? <again, Neil>? Female. <laughs> One female leader equals two (laughs) Scotsmen. I think that makes sense.
2: Texas, we're done. Texas,
1: we're done. <laughs> I mean, they got the bad end of the deal there. Never mind. Never so, mind. We'll do our best. So, Christian, what do you miss of Houston? Before we start getting into recruitment, what's your big sort of misses? Of oh Houston?
0: gosh, outside of obviously family and friends, I just miss the food. I know that's probably crazy to say, but the Tex Mex, the Mexican food that you can get there, I think they have the best margaritas in the world. So, haven't found anything like that in England yet.
1: <laughs> and the heat—surely the weather is getting on your nerves now. No, or can you breathe? you don't get up Degrees, fun. I do, yeah.
0: No, I am trying to convert to Celsius has been something I've had to learn since moving (laughs) here. But (laughs) thank you for putting that in Fahrenheit. Yeah, so I think I moved in October of last year. So I moved right into like to London in the rainy fall winter season. And boy, was that a huge adjustment coming from Houston, Texas. But now that we're getting into the summer months, the weather has just been phenomenal. I can't believe it's this nice here. And I went back to Houston a couple weeks ago for business and I stepped outside and I I felt like I was going to drown. And I was born and raised there, so I don't miss that weather. At all. I'm very happy to be where I am in England. Well,
2: it's going to be 105 in Austin today. Oh, my God. So uh, that's not the weather you're hoping for. You if going you, want jogging, to just do you going a jogging outside, outside Neil? Uh-huh. Are you staying inside? Nah, not today, man. Not today. I will be, best case of outside will be in a pool somewhere or in Barton Springs Creek or something there like that. Not, there's worse places to be, man. There's yeah,
0: I, I hate to say this, but it's currently 75 degrees in London and sunshiny, probably till 11 p.m. <laughs>
1: Very nice. So, Kristen, for Global Insight, then, you look after all the oil and gas and energy clients, right, in terms of? People looking for IT recruitment, that's exactly what Global Insights are doing in London,
0: correct? Yeah. So when I was in Houston, my background was almost exclusively our um, energy portfolio. So I specialized in all of our major customers out of Houston, which is why I was selected to help start up our UK London-based office, because some of our major customers have presence here in the UK as well. So I primarily, I would say 90% of the business I do is with energy currently, but I also do have some financial services and other industry clients in London as of now.
2: And what do you see as the slight difference? It sounds like you've, uh, do you see a big difference?
0: A difference between the hiring between the two companies, would you say, for contractors? or?
2: Yeah, the industries and the hiring and the trains, you see. Yeah,
0: um, I would probably say between the energy industry and some of the other customers. The biggest thing, I can say that in London, the financial services industry is very large. A lot of banks and investment firms mm-hmm. that are here, so they tend to pay a lot. And these big banking and financial services firms are essentially technology companies at their core. So they hire a lot more than we're seeing in the energy industry. But also in the energy, it's the same types of skill sets. So a lot of similarities and some differences as well.
2: Anyway, so we're focusing on the energy industry right now. And so that's mostly where you play your roles. So what kind of things are you seeing at the moment within the energy industry, within the contract market versus the permanent market? And what are the trends going on? There's quite a lot going on globally. So what do you see just in general?
0: That's a good question, because I was trying to think through some of the major trends and I came to kind of really two conclusions. One, when you talk about hiring contingent workers versus permanent, I would say in the U.S., so you saw it very heavily, contractor heavy in the U.S. for the energy portfolio. Here in the U.K., there have been some interesting political and economic changes that have really driven incentives for companies to hire more permanent resources. Like, for example, um, Brexit is probably something you'd probably want to talk about when impacting the contingent labor market just because before Brexit, these companies had the ability to go to any European market and pull this talent pool they needed without visa complications. And and then IR35 is also a very large player when it comes to the contingent labor market at AWR, which is Agency Worker Regulations, which essentially protects the contractor to get very similar benefits as a full-time employee. So I say all of that as these kind of political and government regulations are really incentivizing companies because it's almost just as expensive to hire PERM here in the UK. So we've seen a major shift for one, just because of those challenges to more permanent hiring, but also as they scale and kind of really transform from dare I say an oil and gas company an energy company to more of a technology a true technology company they're really shifting the skill sets they need and so focusing on having that knowledge in-house long term and moving away from more professional services providers and really focusing on bringing that knowledge in-house long term.
1: Is it more technical skills or industry skills do you see Chris and is there any views of that one in terms of what the difference is?
0: Yeah so I would almost say a majority of the time that our clients come to us with requests it's more looking outside of the industry. They almost don't want, you know, from their competitors, which is really common. It's more, you know, find me somebody from these tech companies that can teach us these ways to be able to bring a lot of those other industry. Like I mentioned, the financial services like are, are very much ahead of the energy industry in a lot of areas in software development and architecture. So looking for outside of industry experience to bring into the energy world.
1: I mean, for me, Neil, that's the healthy bit. And that's what we should be doing right to this industry. Neil is it's good to hear that. I think.
2: Bringing new ideas, bringing new experiences in, that's the type of thing that I think is very, very healthy. I'll be honest, in my role as the Shell lead account partner, I do see some of that, but often they just, they revert to form and just stick to, hey, has this guy worked in Shell before? Oh wait, now he's got two years of Shell, three, four years ago he's his CV, let's get him in. It's like, all right, go for it. I mean, you're the boss.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I do think sometimes you have, you know, high-level conversations of where the company wants to go. And then when you get to like the day-to-day operations, you need the best person to fill the seat as quickly as possible. And I don't think in the energy industry that'll ever go away.
2: No, I I understand it, right? Because you sometimes
1: just need something done quickly. So
2: it makes perfect sense. And you need someone to get up to speed quickly. So that's the
1: key. What's the difference between, is there any difference in diversity between the U.S. and UK labor, again, it's really interesting. This we clearly have an issue in the industry with diversity sure. generally. But anything to share on that one, Kristen?
0: Yeah, um, I probably should preface that I've only been in the market and our doors open since January in the UK. So we have some yep. market intelligence that we leverage. But from my experience and this limited experience, I would say. I feel as if the U.S. is almost a little bit further ahead and advanced when it comes to diversity and inclusion efforts. So in the U.K. and London specifically, especially since we can only really target the U.K. market for these companies, they're a little bit behind on getting really females or underrepresented populations into the STEM field as a whole. And so a lot of what my company and other companies do are community outreach programs on how can we reach these underrepresented populations? Can we get into the universities to talk through career paths to show them that IT is not just for the guys and get them excited about the opportunities that are ahead of them. So I think we do a better job. There's always room for improvement in anything, but in our career, our community outreach across the US and getting those talent in, I think here um, we're definitely seeing it's something that we want to improve upon in the UK.
1: Cool, very cool. And clearly lots of <laughs> Scottish <laughs> people looking for roles as well. We've very good skills. <laughs> That's right. That's what Neil That's and right. I want to
2: hear. So after. That does actually bring in question. questions. So there's the male-female angle, but there's also... The race angle, there's also the LBG QT. Is that something that you see
0: Yeah,
2: it was being a good mix or differences again across the country? Yeah,
0: I think it varies. I would say for the conversations that I'm having with my portfolio of customers, it's more around the non-white and as well as the women in the tech field. Those are two areas in the UK specifically that are a huge focus. I have had some customers, which I think is just such an amazing initiative where their HR teams will put together basically a standalone budget that allows them to hiring managers to use this budget to be able to entice or or get those underrepresented or those DE&I type candidates into these roles if we can't afford them or if they need more additional support. They have services in these companies to help these hiring managers learn how to hire and then how to train and how to get more opportunities and increase knowledge and training for these people to come into these new roles in IT, especially if they don't have the experience, finding new ways to get them interested, excited and trained to be able to do the role they're looking to get into.
2: That's interesting because the one thing I've seen in Shell is we're actually as in my role again IBM is we are controlled to be make sure that we actually do have a diversification mm. KPI that we're measured mm-hmm. against so that we're seen as not only ourselves, but everyone we hire. That's like a sub subcontractor meets those certain diversity criteria as well. So it's becoming such a bigger thing. I don't know if you think it. So is the trend on the way up for those diversification things, or are you seeing anything tangible, or is it still mostly yeah, just talk at the stage? I
0: think we're, from my experience, is very much in the preliminary stage for a lot of these things. But I know for one of our customers, this actually putting together this DE and I organization that has that additional funding and resources to help these hiring managers educate and learn how to hire these types of skill sets. But again, I do. Think I think it goes back and forth from the US and the UK. I think the US, like for example, I don't, and maybe don't quote me on this, but I don't think there's a lot of diverse certifications in the UK for companies. So I have talked to some companies about mm. how to get some diverse certifications to understand their partners, to understand if they have any type of diverse spend, those types of things. Where in the US, it's, there's a lot of certifications and regulation in areas that you can you know show your diversity. Even I think you mentioned Shell, even for Shell in the UK, that's not a priority or that's not part of their, you know, vendor onboarding list and on, on their diversity requirements. So it's really just strictly in the US as of now. So from our experience and our conversations.
2: The only other bit I was kind of interested in, in terms of that was around. I'll be honest, Kristen, I've got a couple of mates that are in the recruitment consulting business in in oh, uh, London. Here, here at the comes moment.
1: a sneaky question, now. You didn't. No, do this at it's time. not a sneaky question. It's just
2: it's just coming to me though. <laughs> I won't name names. I don't know if they like that. Anyway, one's in Manchester, one's in London. I always think that they they always give it the air of hugely competitive, mm. hugely competitive mm. industry that can be a bit cutthroat. In the internal office as it is, and everybody's got serious targets and so forth. Is that still the case? And have you seen a difference from the US market also?
0: When you say cutthroat, is it internal quotas or what do you mean by yeah.
2: Internal. A lot of internal, we've got to make this, we've got to yeah. make this amount of sales, we've got to have this many, et cetera. And so they can her back to me just all of their different targets, how many they've got, et cetera. Sure. They ring the bell or whatever it is. Yep, we've a got a bell. <laughs> There you go. So that type of thing is that? Are you seeing? Well, it sounds like you're seeing something similar. What do you see? And again, you're impressed by the differences in cultures and so forth.
0: Yeah, I hesitate to comment on that because I think each company has different requirements and different, you know, expectations of their employees. I think my company has always been. I mean, we're the second largest and recruitment firm in the Americas, and so we've always had pretty aggressive sales targets and quotas what um, i should say for the uk is that we've actually from some of the market analysis that we've seen i think the numbers are actually a bit lower here when it comes to how many placements per year either on a you know as an agency worker contractor or perm we've seen that the market tends to be a little bit lower it takes a little bit longer to to get these placements on board but again i think that could vary per companies and we're only 8 months in <laughs> so
2: I should tell them to stop
0: complaining. There, <laughs> yeah. just get on with it.
1: They've got it easy. It sounds like
0: no, I wouldn't say that. I just think you know, as we mature, our company might get more aggressive in our target.
1: I think, Kristen, knowing you and when you and I met four years ago when I came to Houston, yeah, and I used to be a recruitment a long, long time ago, long, long time ago. Neil, I don't even think you know that. That's another story over <laughs> a beer. But I think I didn't what, know that exactly. But um, global insight. It caught me that you guys took it as let's do a partnership. Let's focus. We're not going to go crazy. I'm going to choose Shell, BP, Chevron, whoever it was, and literally go deep, understand them, and bring them in. And that was our first conversation at Starbucks somewhere down by your office. Yeah, I, think I that's remember. That's what appealed to me of like, wow, that's so different to what I thought recruitment just going on from Neil's question
0: yeah and sorry to interrupt you but speaking to that point I think you brought up a good point we've realized here in the UK our working model has always been become a partner to the organization understand the programs initiatives really you know be able to plan with our companies to be able to get them the right skills long term. Whereas here, it seems to be in the UK, and again, from my limited experience, that they're more niche, specialized recruitment companies that I don't know if you know the term 360 model. Some agency work or agencies will have, you know, an account manager similar to myself, who's responsible for the stakeholder engagement, and then they have a different delivery team. Whereas here in the UK, majority of the competitors that we see specialize in, for example, financial services, DevOps engineering, and they have just their list of candidates, and they get onboarded to each customer for that one placement, and then they go find you know, another customer, whereas our goal is to have a limited amount of customers really only work with the majors and have, you know, large portfolios with them. So that has been something we're going on meetings here in the UK. It's almost been a little bit of the managers being a little bit surprised by that strategy.
2: And that brings me to kind of my question on Is the mode of engagement within the way that you communicate with some of the energy companies, has that changed any over the years? Is is it still all relationship-based or no? You're finding it's pretty, send a CV through an email, they'll do like an AI check of words, et cetera, et cetera. Is that is things changed recently? Yes,
0: I definitely think there has been more of a shift towards moving almost a little bit more away from the relationship and more into kind of transactional, which is not our preferred way to work, if I'm honest. But I say that and you know at a high level, that's the push to hear, you know, now we have a you know a system that sends out racks, you submit candidates, automatically shortlists, and and I think a lot of line managers and hiring managers still see the value in having because You know, when you have a product like People and your job is to help people find roles and make them career choices, it's very difficult to automate a lot of that stuff successfully. So I still think in the energy business, maybe more than some of the others, the relationship part is still so important to a lot of people. But it also, I do see a shift towards trying to find more automated ways to onboard and recruit.
1: Kristen, another sort of feeding on from that then, we all know that oil and gas industry has had a bad name over the last couple of years. It's been tough on all of us. How do you see of the candidates coming through? Is it difficult to get them to attracted to the multinationals and national oil companies? Do you feel that when you're interviewing, or because they've got a whole choice, I yeah, guess that is a big issue, right?
0: Yeah, I almost hesitate to answer that question, but I was moving <laughs> um, to the UK.
1: Go for
2: it. We're all friends okay. here, Kristen. <laughs> Absolutely,
0: in Houston, I would say from my experience. People wanted to work for the big energy companies. They were excited. They had the good rates, you know, the good projects. They were really excited to be a part of that. Moving here to the UK, the climate is a little bit different where, for example, it just was riding on the tube, I think, you know, a couple days ago, and there was a stop shell with a big X through it on one of the tube stations. So uh, talking to the candidates, I've had more candidates disinterested once I tell them the client's name. I think more of how to combat some of that stuff. And I even had one gentleman ask me how I could live with myself for um, working
1: to support how could these. could you live yeah. with yourself, Kristen? How dare you? <laughs> oh.
0: <laughs> I hadn't received that type of feedback really all that often in Houston. I think... With a big shift in what the priorities for these energy companies and talking about these marches towards net zero by 2050 and really talking about these new energies and renewables and being part of the change helps get some of these people kind of seeing the vision because I think everyone knows where we want to be. We just have to have the right people doing the right work to get us there. Yeah,
1: There was a great quote from David Reed at the conference yesterday I was at. It said there was a couple of speakers up talking about 2050, but they kind of bounced over the transition of oil and gas to new energy and renewables like a light switch, David Reed had said, look, it's going to take some time. We're making money, we're going to invest, and we'll go. But if you're going to change, the people that are going to do it is oil and gas. Look what we've been able to do the last 30 years, deep sea, subsea, everything that we can do now with the technology, drilling in the Arctic, etc. The technology when the investment, if we just reinvent ourselves over the time, we'll be able to go with it. I think it's taken these stories. You have to share the stories. Out. My best project was 2002 in Vietnam in Ho Chi Minh with PetroVietnam, BP and Start Oil. When Ho Chi Minh, during the dry season, power would go out because they would rely on hydropower. BP, Start Oil and PetroVietnam found gas 330 kilometers off the coast. We got involved in doing the maintenance system, the finance systems and processes of setting this up piped it into Ho Chi Minh, and now today, you know, there's no more relying on hydropower. It's those types of projects that we need to get out as an industry, I think, and show of you can be involved in fantastic sustainable programs. And part of this transition from oil and gas to energy, and we will need these skills. That's the bit that worries me, Kristen and Neil, is we will need these types of skills and these people to not just go to banking distribution, utilities, but to come with us, that's the big other issue I've got, Neil.
2: Yeah, no, I hear you. And every industry often has its problems a little bit, but there's only one way to fix it, and that's get in there and actually make something better from it, right? And I think hopefully, certainly some of the European oil companies are certainly kind of championing a bit more of that. So hopefully that rhetoric will change a little bit going forward. If I may shift gears a little bit, I did actually want to ask about, so this is, we've kind of talked about your role, Kristen. But I wanted to talk a bit more around, so for the people that are actually sending their CVs to you, how are they going to be successful? What makes a good CV? What makes a good, I don't know, maybe it's the CV plus relationship. Maybe it's the, you know, what is the thing that tips people over the edge so that they can get into the energy industry? Assuming they listen to this podcast (laughs) and say, you know what, they're right. We should get into the industry. How do they go about and position themselves correctly?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it varies by skill set and opportunity. But for my recruiting team and our delivery team, what we really look for through CVs for our energy companies is one, I hate to say it, but non-industry experience coming from some other field to bring some almost you know, different thoughts and views. Two, we look for somebody who's interested in that, um, that March to 2050 to net zero, because the last thing you want to do is get somebody who is really technically strong on an interview. And that's something that they struggle with, the ethics or the values or the behaviors of the company that we want to make sure those align with the company. So that's something we definitely pre-screen is to make sure that they're good with those type of requirements in the company's initiatives. Um, And then too, I think it is being connected and networked and being staying up to speed on kind of some of the new technologies. I mean, I had somebody in an energy interview talking about crypto technologies and blockchain and potentially how AI could get involved in some of these conversations, which, you know, again, probably buzzwords, but those are things that seeing curiosity and excitement about other industries and how it could bring value to energy is really what I see that makes just a software engineer or an architect or a BA or program manager and helps them Stand out across other candidates.
1: The analogy of taking someone on to mow the grass versus getting a NASA sort of scientist, et cetera, or a go to the moon, et cetera, how do you deal with that in terms of asking too much, not delivering? Is, is there any issues that you see in terms of any difference or in the industry?
0: Yeah, when it comes to recruitment, I think that happens more often than not, you know, expecting a high level skill set, but then giving them programs or projects that maybe won't challenge them or give them the opportunity to use it. I, I could cite an example I had this morning with one of our customers and we're recruiting for some data engineers to do some ETL data pipeline builds for one of our customers. And truly, when you hear the scope of the work, it's just SQL development. They just need to do SQL development. They're not really touching the ETL pipelines, the new technologies. So we see that struggle sometimes where candidates are no longer interested, even though they said, this is what we need in order to the job, but you don't really need all those things to do the job. You need somebody who can do this job right now and they will need to be interested and excited about it. Cause you don't want to put somebody overqualified in a role and, and not be able to give them challenging work if that answers your question
2: <laughs> yeah and i think the, the other side of the because of our the story is we asked what was the candidates to make themselves attractive but how can the energy industry position themselves to ask the right questions and ask the right for the right CVs? Because the amount of time I hear I don't want to put my woes on you here, but you know, we hear about asking for the unicorn, right? The person yeah. that's got three different types of skills all in one CV. How do we make energy companies become a bit smarter and make sure we match them up so that the perfect person is attracted.
0: Yeah, I think that's the right question. I would probably say that's probably a bigger trend I see in the industry is hiring managers, hiring isn't their full-time job. You know, I do this day in and day out for the past 9 years, so I sit in on interviews probably 5 to 10 a week. Being able to have a consultant, somebody like myself that has the industry experience to help them understand okay, you, this is the job description we posted. This is how you explain the role. So truly, you only need these three things to be able and then also coach them on appropriate interview styles and the appropriate ways to represent the company and to remind them that that candidate is interviewing you just as much as you're interviewing them because so often I get off of an interview and my manager's like, fantastic, get them started next week. And I come back and I'm like, you didn't show any personality, didn't share any benefits of the company. You just really hounded them with technical questions and then you're out the door. So trying to remind and coach. And I really encourage every hiring manager to have somebody that they can speak to about this, whether it's the partner or their HR team, to learn how to incentivize those people and and also sell the company and yourself in the position to the candidates as well. Because so often that's kind of a miss for a lot of hiring managers in the energy world as well.
1: (laughs) Are you guys using a lot of data and AI now then? Because in my old day, the biggest thing was sales are a tracking device to make sure that there was only one or two people talking to the client. Now, with all the data, et cetera, it should be an easier, hopefully an easier job to match, you know, the personality of Neil Syme. Maybe we shouldn't talk about the personality. (laughs) But the personality of Neil and what he's looking for and what type of skill (laughs) he's got, that should be an easier match, right?
0: It's such a good point. The software and technology in the recruiting industry is exponentially changed over the past two to three years for the better. I would say now we, our technology and our company like auto-populates. You know, if Let's say I know Neil hires software engineers with a skill set. When I tag a meeting with Neil, automatically I have CVs in my inbox that match those skill sets or programs I've typed in to what type of roles or what type of projects they have coming up. So A lot of, and even where our company has just rolled out a service for our customers, they don't even have to engage in say global uh, representative. They could go straight to our website, type in data engineer, and it'll populate. CVs, and they can almost do their own search at a cheaper cost. And then they say, I want to talk to this person. And then we have a delivery person that just sets it up. So it's phenomenal. And I think in seeing the stuff that we're prototyping, and I don't know about other companies, but I think it'll be the resume to hire process will be a lot quicker over the next couple of years.
1: See, Neil, I'm trying to get you a job here. That's what I'm trying to do here. <laughs>
0: Thank you.
2: No
1: way. I think this podcasting gig will last forever, right? <laughs>
2: There's no need to worry. That 250 that we don't get. Absolutely. You know what I mean? That'll keep me good for a while. We'll see. That's right. I do have a question about, because I do want to know where next, though. If I think, Jason, you just did a podcast on generative AI. I think about how that could impact, or just AI in general, how that could impact the writing of CVs, then the interpretation of CVs, the all of that type of stuff. What do you see coming up next? That's a great point.
0: To be honest, I'm not sure because I think you're right. I have, you know, somebody sent me a cover letter the other day that was written by AI and I only know that because they told me that. (laughs) I also do see some job descriptions that people have talked about putting into AI. So I'm not sure. And I think a lot of industries don't know how it's going to disrupt them. But I think in some capacity, it's going to be very, very helpful because there is a lot of manual processes to recruitment and hiring, but there's also such a personal touch. In this industry and specifically what we do that somebody still needs to vet them, put them through the screening process, check the reference, do these things that we feel, you know, to ensure the candidate meets the qualifications. So to be honest, I have no idea. I <laughs> will have to see. <laughs> I hope it doesn't get me out of a job.
2: (laughs) That's the thing. Well, it could get us all of our jobs. That's the problem. Yeah, let's not not talk about this. Sure. Let's not talk about this. (laughs) That's right. right. Look, I think it's super interesting because CVs sound like a very obvious place to start for a generative Mm -hmm. AI piece, but you'd have to make some truth of it. Clearly, (laughs) if the guy's going to turn up and do the job, it couldn't just be a perfect CV. I don't know. I think personally, I don't know because Jason, you were on that call with the generative AI guys. Did you see anything going forward and how that
1: changed the workforce that would impact the
2: picture? Yeah, the they were, they were t- talking t- massively. Model?
1: I think it was more technology and people taking more of the administrative work away and really focus and then using the automation and then really homing in on certain skills. So it'll be more technical skills, but I think the roles will become really, really clearer and more precise of what we're actually asking for. There was a question on will we see a reduction in the resource thing? But then I don't think we will because it'll just shift to something else. It'll be the new technology that we'll be actually oh, implementing like we've done.
2: Hey, Kristen, I mean, talked about an... that for automation. never yeah, worked. It never absolutely. worked out with automation. We got more and more people in jobs,
1: so- Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. No, ahead, Kristen, what would you, I mean, advice for new starters, what would your, you know, a young Jason and a young Neil, it's a long time ago, but let's just <laughs> imagine we're young. It feels good. What would your advice yeah, from right. a recruitment side be in terms of the starters, in terms of coming into the industry? Because that's for me, that's the next people we really, all three of us, really want to see. What was your advice, Kristen, for these guys?
0: I think for me, because we, we do a lot of university outreach, and so my team goes to universities to coach and help get qualified candidates and for our customers. But I think what I would advise for somebody starting in the technology industry in any domain, you know, in any part of the industry is one, just make sure you focus on being curious and staying connected. Because the one thing I could tell anyone who starts in technology is that it's going to change. And I could tell you, yes. like, the hot topic of the day is AI, but that'll be something different six months from now. So being able to stay connected, go to conferences, meet people, be curious about other parts of the industry, learn about different domains within IT. Because one thing, one skill that I think that will always be required in the industry is the ability to adapt, pivot, change, learn new things. Because I think more than really a lot of other industries, that's something that'll be really important for IT. And then just on a personal level, I always like to tell people from my experience, making sure you've got the company you work for and ensure they have the same cultures and values that you do because you're going to spend so much of your life with these people around you. And so you want to make sure these people are positive and have growth mindsets and bring you up and help you grow personally, professionally, and financially, as opposed to just staying stagnant or not helping you progress. So for me, that was some advice I received coming into the workforce and maybe not as long ago as you guys, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) where where did
2: that come from I'm just kidding
1: stop the recording Jason this is over do you know this is only coaching Um, for Neil and I for our next jobs that's all we're doing we're
0: actually not going to publish this I'm just kidding
2: I was going to have one question which is are you finding anybody that wants to never be a permanent employee nowadays but as they start the career they only want to be temp because they want to have that different dynamic relationship going through in their career it's not something I ever yeah really felt when i was <laughs> <drawing
0: up.
2: laughs> but it's happening now yeah maybe. lifetime
0: consultants there is a huge population of the labor market that really enjoys setting their own hours working on projects they want to getting the diverse experience working with different customers different processes so we work with a lot of we have a what's called a rehire and engage program where we identify resources like that so we can help find them projects with the next customer so I would say there's a big shift towards not wanting to stay career especially as you've probably seen in the industry people don't tend to stay very long at the same company for You know, like they used to in the old days. You know, so so people tend to be a little bit more job hoppy in general. These career consultants that you know create their own companies, and their job is strictly you know not interested in full time benefits. I think there's a real value to those types of resources as well.
1: It's funny, isn't it? Because I've been 25. This is my 26th year in IBM. My goodness, 26 bloody years. Jeez. Let's knock that Neil. How many years in IBM? Ten. Me, seven or eight. Seven. Seven or eight. I'm I'm a a youngster, remember? You are a youngster. Yes, you are a youngster. Kristen, let's just stroke him a little bit and call him a youngster for this one. But I don't think we're going to see lifetime people either. It seems to, I was looking at some CVs last week and people were moving generally every four years. Again, very generic. And there was the Jason Duff's or Nails being ever, but the younger ones seem to be four years and rolling, four years and rolling. Is that what you're seeing as well, Kristen? Generically.
0: Generically, yeah. One of the market intelligence companies that our company worked with, they did a little, it's not called a TED Talk, their version of a TED Talk. And they talked about how to sell against you know the term job hoppy and the value that yes. a, you know somebody has that has moved around roles and they actually kind of showed the value of saying somebody shouldn't be in a role longer than three years and they were saying we almost encourage people at three years if you aren't doing something different you're stagnant and so they say, you should look for somebody that's looked three every three to four years for new roles which and that could be in the same company you know take on a different project or a promotion or move to a different team it doesn't have to be necessarily go to a whole new company and start a new career but they were actually selling the value. And it's something I've used in conversations with hiring managers now to say, hey, this is the trend. And this is what, gosh, I'm a millennial. So what is that Gen X? That's what they're being told in their classes that, you know, you need to continue to evolve and change. And it's not as, you know, respectable to stay in the same job for your entire career. So it's kind of a little bit of a mind shift change. And and especially some of those hiring managers that have been with the, the same company for so long to help them see the value of that as well.
1: Neil, Very I good. think there is still a job that you and I can go to. I think Kristen's, I'm warming up. That I don't think she's telling it's us. It's retirement, golf. <laughs> retirement <laughs> golf. Maybe that's the next podcast. Sorry, Jason, Neil, I can't help you. It should really be retirement right. golf. <laughs> Your past help. Thank you. <laughs> you can read some CVs right. if you want before the AI comes in. <laughs> that's right. That's right, program the AI for a wee bit. Anyway,
2: I think we're almost at time here, Jace. I think that's absolutely. been absolutely, Kristen, that has been absolutely fantastic. What an insight into just the temp and the labor market, et cetera, and how it compares to the Permi and and just your world within that. And also with the UK and the US thing, which actually I was
1: shocked by a few <laughs> responses. But there you go. I would have thought it might be in the other way, the ding dong, but it just shows you. And Chris, the other thing I would offer is we've got Western University from Colorado, I think, in a couple of weeks' time. And some of the other universities will reach out to. I don't know if you or your colleagues would be interested in Global Insight, but I think that would be a great one as trying to put, as we do more and more of these, trying to get a couple of people with different angles so we can have a bit of a debate on, as I think Neil, you brought it up. What does the industry need to do more? What do the universities need to do more? What do we need to do as consultants in SIs or recruitment as yourself of what do we need to do more? Because I think we do need to change and make sure, as you've rightly said, give guidance to the people coming in to the industry so I'll reach out to you and see if we can get you involved in some of that stuff
0: we would love to be involved and I have peers that manage our DE&I divisions that would love to share they're very passionate about the de initiatives and what they're doing to help those underrepresented populations so if you had interest in and even our digital officer he's really gotten into that technology we talked about the automation the AI and recruitment he'd be happy to talk to you about these things so just let us know we'd love to be involved
1: got it and if you've got any dodgy Scotsmen awesome. that come to your office and asking for jobs, <laughs> just nice. give it to me. We'll, we'll, no, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll shut the door. No, just shut the door. No, okay. No, no. That's right. No, it could be me or you,
2: Jace. That's, it that's just it could you. This is, is just a we warm welcome. We could be the dodgy Scott president you're going. This is right. when I get
1: kicked out of the US. They take my green card. I that's end right. up sort of walking the streets of London, <laughs> and I, at least I know I can come and talk to you.
0: Yeah, come on. Do you know notice know ne-
1: now they know you've got all those Swiss bank yeah. accounts? Yeah.
0: you'll Shh. be all, you're all you'll you're be okay. You're okay.
1: not supposed to talk about that. Cheese, chocolate, okay. Clocks, bank accounts. Kristen, thank you very much. And uh, good to see you. Hopefully next time we're in, uh, I think I'm in London in August, actually, some holidays. Yeah, we'll try and catch up.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. It was such a pleasure speaking to you guys.
1: Thank you. So Neil, that's a wrap. so much.
2: That's a wrap. Guys, thank you very much. Have a good one. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Bye.
0: Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.